Welcome to season three of Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Adrian Fries and Trey Bailey invite you to join them on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as we participate in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. This podcast is produced by Beautiful Teaching. If you like our podcast, you will love our online courses. Our mission is to help both teachers and parents. We want to help bridge a large gap that currently exists between many classical schools and the parents who send their students to these schools. Teachers, do you want to know how to apply what we discuss on this podcast? Check out our affordable online immersion courses taught by experienced master teachers. Parents, do you want to understand how to support your student in a classical school? Or do you simply want to know more about classical education? Consider our affordable book seminars where we discuss why classical education is truly a beautiful way of learning. Visit our registration page to see our list of courses and book seminars at beautifulteaching.coursestorm.com. Again, that's beautifulteaching.coursestorm.com. Also, join the discussion on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is about Charlotte Mason-inspired homeschool co-ops. So I am very delighted to welcome our three guests, Jennifer Hartberg, who runs a homeschool co-op in the Houston area, Valerie Bishop, who runs a co-op in the Flower Mound, Texas area, North Texas, and Randon Steinhauser, who runs a co-op in the Austin area. So these ladies uh, I've known for a while, and um, invited them to come on because I think they will be a breath of fresh air to our listeners who uh, feel like maybe they would want to be in a homeschool co-op or start a homeschool co-op or feel isolated. They need something. Um, and each one of these ladies has a different type of co-op and mission statement. So we're going to um, dive into um, some really great conversations with them. I'm going to ask each one to introduce themselves and then tell a little bit about uh, why they decided to start a homeschool uh, co-op. So let's start with Jennifer Hartenberg. Sure. Thank you so much, Adrian. Um, so I uh, have always wanted to homeschool. Before I was even married, I had decided to homeschool. So thankfully, my husband agreed. <laughs> um, but I started Blue Bonnet Home Scholars Collaborative in 2019. We opened in 2020. Uh, and the reason really was, there were a few reasons. One, my daughter is a thorough extrovert and she needed that community. Um, but I also have a son and it, it just, homeschool works better when you have a community and when you can pull on the expertise of various different teachers. So they're not only hearing from me. But one of the reasons was a turning point for me with starting our program was that I actually attended a homeschool conference and there was a speaker who had worked in really bad, rough uh, public schools. And he encouraged us to bless other people with our homeschools and reminded us not to be an isolated, you know, we're just doing all this stuff for our children. And my husband has a PhD, I have a master's in education, and I thought he's absolutely right. Why am I 
investing so much in crafting this as perfect as I can, you know, education for two kids when we could be blessing so many other families. So there were there were a variety of reasons, but those are some of the main ones. I love that, Jennifer. Um, Brandon, could you uh, introduce yourself next and share a little bit about why you started a co-op? Sure. Well, thanks for having me as part of the conversation. And for me, it's really been a very interesting journey. So for much of my career, I have been working in education policy. And after having my first child, I'm now I'm the mother of four, I went from being on the policy side to becoming more of a practitioner as a homeschooling mother. And it sort of opened my eyes to the opportunities to, again, as Jennifer mentioned, to take the gifts that we have and to share them with others. And so I started to really just explore Charlotte Mason and explore all of the different resources that are out there for um, Charlotte Mason inspired classical education and decided to kind of put feelers out. And of course, I would be at the library or at the park and it was all of a sudden, just everywhere I was going, I was being contacted by moms or we'd have a conversation where I would hear there's a, a need for, you know, a community out here, something that's nature inspired with great books and poetry and music. And it was almost just a direct message from God for me, honestly, because I was in Target and I had a mom come up to me and say, are you the one who's talking about starting the co-op? And so we talked and then the next week I was at the library and the same thing happened. So finally I said, okay, I will, I will do this. And um, we, you know, my initial goal was maybe 12 kids, right? Something very manageable and easy to start with. We just opened enrollment for our second semester and we've already gotten interest from over 60 families. So for me, I think for anyone who's listening that is on the verge of considering starting a homeschool co-op, start it and they will come. <laughs> That's my message for today. I love that. And oh, I forgot. Did you tell your name of the uh, your co-op? Did you mention what it's Our called? Our co-op is Sweetwater Scolay. So it's a Scolay blend of <laughs> wonderful elements that we will get into throughout this conversation. And it's based in Western Travis County on the outskirts of Austin. Okay, great. All right, Valerie. Hi, I'm Valerie Bishop. Uh, I direct Living Education Co-op in Flower Mound. Uh, I would definitely echo everything that Randon and Jennifer said. It is um, just the Hearst Charlotte Mason homeschool education approach is totally delightful. Adrian helped mentor me in my early days when my first batch were young and um, haven't turned back. And then for the co-op, yes, I would say that the need is there. The the moms need it. They if you if you build it, they will come. They um, need to hear that this exists and. Yeah, I mine is the same kind of story. It's just I I would make one little step and God would just, you know, provide the people and, you know, so yeah, interest meetings and um, whatever you can do to get started and see what your community needs. Mm -hmm. Did you mention how many children you have, Valerie? You, uh, you I said six. Six, yeah. Youngest is six. And the yeah. Charlotte Mason definitely, I think that was one of the questions was, um, it is, it is, it's so rich. It's so deep. It's so rewarding. And, um, for people that just love to learn and for people that don't know that this option is out there, it's just a great way to learn. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that you all have a mission statement for your co-op, if not a, a general, um, uh, you know, 
statement that would describe, you know, what you're doing. Um, would you got, would any of you want to share your mission statement and maybe how you came up with it even? Sure, I'll go. Um, well, I kind of went back and forth on the name of my co-op, which I shared, Sweetwater Scole, and I got a lot of questions because I feel as though our, our co-ops are an opportunity to evangelize on behalf of Charlotte Mason. And so even the word Scole has gotten a lot of attention. And so I just simplified our mission statement to just be to foster a love of learning through nature-inspired environment. And so most of the time we're outdoor learning. We have uh, occasionally used indoor facilities, but um, for us, it's just about curiosity and learning in a beautiful um, nature environment. What are the uh, ages of the kids in your program? Ours are from five to 10. Okay. And yours is, is it mostly a nature study co-op? Is that what I'm hearing? It's a blend. So we, it's a unit study each week. We have a unit or a theme that we focus in on, and then we pull resources. We do a poetry uh, reading. We do a handicraft. We do um, some sort of nature element. We always do read alouds. We do group work. Um, we in involve beautiful music. We will do guest kind of speakers uh, from time to time. So it's nature inspired in the sense that we are outdoors if we can be. Mm -hmm. And we tie that into our entire lesson and the curriculum that we're providing. So that's interesting. Um, being outdoors, does that mean that you meet in public parks or do you meet on a property? Uh, ha has it been interesting, like with weather, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we actually meet at um, my community clubhouse here in my neighborhood. So it's an HOA property, but we have a large covered outdoor area with plenty of seating. And then we have the option to use an indoor HOA facility as well. Again, since I'm an HOA paying member, um, I would say the venue is probably the hardest thing for a lot of folks to, to find. Um, but there's no shortage of ideas, right? I think everyone will say like, check with churches, check with community centers, HOAs, use parks if you can. Um, so I think just kind of putting some research into that, we have been incredibly blessed to be able to use our HOA facilities and it's been a really good fit. Do you meet once a month? We meet every Friday. Oh, every Friday. Okay. I think it seems like most co-ops are once a week. Is that how Valerie and Jennifer, is that how yours are? Okay. Fine arts um, <clears throat> classes of our co-op is bi-weekly, but we end up meeting every week because the high schoolers meet weekly for history, humanities, and every few years of science. And then the younger siblings, we do a citizenship class <clears throat> for the young kingdoms of the, for the young citizens of the kingdom of Mansoul. Um, so we do end up meeting every week, but the fine arts part that we originally started with six years ago is bi-weekly. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so Valerie, why don't you go ahead and share your mission and uh, how many students and ages are in your co-op? Okay, so we, this is our sixth year, and we usually fluctuate between, um, you know, 12 to 14 families or so, which usually ends up being around 45 to 50 kids. Um, we are, you know, infant to high school. Um, our Shakespeare program Sometimes kids get older and they start driving and they're busy doing other classes. And so we still keep that as a drop off. So we keep some of our kids through through high school, which is great. They get to be the seasoned veterans. Um, 
So those are our numbers. And as far as the mission statement, um, we have not come up with one. Our name, it is a living education. You know, uh, we spread the feast and then um, nourish on ideas would be another one of Charlotte's words. I use that for my republishing name, I guess, um, for books that I do for the curriculum. So we don't have a mission statement, but I would just call it a living education. Okay, Jennifer, tell us about your school and your mission statement. Sure. So um, Blue Bonnet Home Scholars Collaborative has created its own category. We decided that we are not a co-op, but we're also not a school. So we actually have classes, traditional classes, as well as Charlotte Mason enrichment classes for kindergarten through 12th grade. We have our first graduating seniors this year that we're very excited about. So we have classes all day Tuesday and all day Friday, as well as a half day Thursday. When we started, it was just uh, a one morning a week where we did the Charlotte Mason enrichment. And now we've quadrupled our enrollment in those three and a half years and are offering all the traditional subjects as well as electives. So our, our purpose statement uh, is offering classes and activities in the Christian liberal arts tradition. Blue Bonnet Home Scholars Collaborative is a group class community that exists to enrich the lives of homeschool families in the joint pursuit of wonder knowledge and love. Um, so really we found our home in the liberal arts tradition and kind of, I like that term because it distinguishes us from certain interpretations of the classical education movement, but also includes it and also includes Charlotte Mason who was big on the liberal arts. Um, we're not purists about aligning with any one particular person, although Charlotte Mason and others like C.S. Lewis and Jacques Maritain heavily influence what we do. We like to take the best from um, all of the Christian traditions of educational thinkers. I love that. Now, here's another question that you said, because you offer so many classes a la carte. Do you pay your teachers or are they volunteer? Yes. Yeah, that's why we're yeah. not a co-op. So we are actually right. a 501c3. We are, we are employer. So we have a IRS employer ID number and um, our teachers are are paid and they we we do payroll tax we do uh, liability and workers comp we 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 did a lot of research before we made that decision because we know a lot of programs either are our volunteer base or uh, the teachers are contracted independent contractors and that we we decided after researching it that that's not what we wanted for our program we wanted to have a cohesive team that um, was professional. Okay. Did you start that way? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Mm -hmm. You did. Okay. From the beginning. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brandon, yours is mom's volunteering, correct? Yes. And Valerie, yours is too, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> See, so I love this. I love that everything is so different and beautiful. Um, Brandon, tell us about how how and why you started your co-op. I, I shared a little bit, but I know there's more to that story. If you could expand on that. Yeah, I, you know, we, in addition to being homeschooling uh, our children, also participate in, in a university model school here in Austin. So last year we just did classical conversations and found that we, my husband and I both work and we really were trying to manage so many different balls. And I was in graduate school and there was a lot going on in our family and decided we believed that our children would benefit from having that on-campus experience in a classical Christian collaborative model. Um, so we decided with Veritas to do two days a week, which then led to the desire to, you know, think about building that community. And I, I shared a little bit about kind of the the moms talking to me. And, and what I found to be very interesting was even though we were still very new to homeschooling ourselves, we were only in year two, 
a lot of these families were very new to homeschooling or first year homeschooling families. And so there was a sense of almost desperation for community because we need that constant validation of, yes, it's okay to wait until they're six years old to introduce formal reading, or yes, you're going to have really terrible days and it's okay to just play outside the whole day, right? And so that validation that comes with doing something that's countercultural and making a decision for your family that's, um, you know, that goes against what all of your neighbors are doing, I think, um, the co-op really provided a platform, especially initially, to bring together some folks who maybe had never considered homeschooling until the COVID pandemic pulled the curtain back on so many different things that, you know, encouraged them to consider homeschooling as a serious option for their family. Um, and again, as I, I mentioned, most of my professional work has been in education, school choice, parent empowerment policy. And so I really felt this calling to take all of this work I had done across the country and apply it hyper-locally. And I think the fruits of that labor um, are just becoming more and more clear with each week in our homeschool co-op grows, uh, not only in numbers, but in relationship. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and just for our, the sake of our listeners, because we have listeners all the way over in Australia, they may not know what a university model is. Would you like to explain that? I know what it is because I work for a school, but yeah, why don't you absolutely. share with our listeners what that means? So a university model school is, it's a trademark. So it's a Christ-centered collaborative model, meaning that the, the students um, at, a, at a young age and grammar phase are on campus two to three times per week. And then as they get older and more progressively into the higher levels of the trivium, they spend more and more days on campus. But the beautiful thing about a university model school is that it is created to, to foster a partnership between the families and the educators in the classroom. I can tell you, I am just as welcome on campus any time of any day as any you know employee of the camp of the school. There is a constant opportunity for parents to engage in the classroom, to engage on campus. There's family ministry. They wrap your ar their arms around you and say, you are the God-given educator of your child, and we want to support you in that effort. Um, for us, we love the opportunity for everything being on campus, including band and orchestra and sports. Having four kids and going back and forth between so many different activities can be quite daunting. So having it all in one place, but still having that restful learning at home is, I think for our family, the university model has been a really wonderful fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, the, the university model school that I work for that all the way through high school, um, they either go on Monday, Wednesday, or they go on Tuesday, Thursday. So they have two sets of like to every totally different kids and even teachers. And then on Fridays, they offer electives. Um, and so there is an organization. I actually don't even know what it's called, sadly. It's a university model. Like you said, it's a it's a large umbrella. Yeah, it's called the National Association of University Model Schools, NOMS. Correct. Thank you. <laughs> and so our school is one of those. Yours is one of those. But what's beautiful about it, too, is that each university model school does have its own culture, its own, like, it sounds like Veritas is a little bit different than, than the school I work for. Um, 
and, and they are beautiful. I, I love the fact that, and I guess they're called university model because they go like when I was in college, I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday or whatever. So it's like that. And I think it does, it is a very uh, beautiful and gentle approach for uh, for kids because they do get those off days to be home and, and do their schoolwork at home. So it's, it is a very beautiful model. Um, and I never knew about this model until I moved to Texas. So I don't, I know it's all over the country, but I'm thinking from state to state, there may be different laws. Um, but I don't even know if the university model is in other countries or not. I actually have no idea. Um, but it is, it is beautiful. And it's kind of interesting that you go to university model school and you have a co-op. I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good, a good fit. Yeah. Um, Valerie, I'd like you to share some stories about your, your co-op because I know you have stories and I've seen pictures of your kids in doing Shakespeare. You do with all the fine arts that you do, you have some pretty cool things you're doing. I want you to share a little bit about that. Okay. Yes. Um, well, Living Education, we, we are a homeschool co-op. So it is moms coming together, you know, every Friday, um, we plan the classes the year before. Um, we have a very basic under the radar structure. We have board members and a treasurer, but we are nothing official yet. I've actually thought about uh, looking into to your model. Um, that, that, that's a little dream of mine to, to think about that once my younger kids are older. So yes, we do the fine arts classes. Um, last year for handicrafts, we did uh, leather working, which was amazing. The kids came home with these amazing journals. We got some interest for selling them and this year they're doing sewing. So they're sewing some of the costumes for our plays. Um, I teach a history and humanities class for the high schoolers. It's actually a one room schoolhouse, middle school as well. Um, we cover uh, literature, writing, uh, history, and then throw in citizenship and <clears throat> humanities, poetry, picture study. We do dictation quizzes. It's, it's a Charlotte Mason class for high schoolers. It's, um, you know, a lot of us uh, did, did, had the first several kids that we homeschooled at home. And then we wanted to come together for some community once a week for that. So they read at home and do things four days a week and then come in for the class. Um, we put on a Shakespeare play at the end of the year, slightly shortened, slightly expurgated for mature content. And all the kids have a role and it's a big hit. Um, so right now, again, we're, 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 it's our sixth year, but we have not branched out to become anything other than co-op at this point with exception to the weekly high school classes we we have paid a, a teacher to do our biology class before a couple years the moms and I all you know took turns uh we use the apology of curriculum for that so um yeah and a lot of our kids play sports and other organizations or take other classes elsewhere and so um these are our years where a lot of us still have young children um but I, I love to hear what you ladies are sharing it, it uh, gives me ideas for the future <laughs> So yeah. So if you were, I mean, we're talking to a bunch of parents on the podcast that may be interested in starting a home, a homeschool co-op or a collaborative like Jennifer's. Um, what would each of you recommend to somebody who might be interested in starting a co-op in their community? Um, like, how would you go about saying, here's the basics that you need to know to get started. And what are the biggest challenges that you've had to face? Um, Jennifer, do you want to start? I'm um, sure. So uh, as we've identified, my model is, is kind of different than the traditional co-op. So it's much more involved when you're actually going to become an employer. Uh, there's a lot of taxes to know about. So I would, I, I think 
if you're going to go that route, you would want to make sure you have a friend or somebody who's a lawyer who'd be willing to advise you or find the funds to pay for legal advice on making sure that you have your, your bylaws and your um, your organization, what is it called? The official becoming <laughs> recognized mm -hmm. by the state as an organization, incorporation, thank you. All of your paperwork in a row. And then of course we have to file taxes. We have to do, you know, payroll taxes and all of that stuff. So, um, and then of course the whole process of applying to become an official 501c3 tax exempt organization is a, is a big process. So we've been really grateful um, to the two, two of my co-founders were actually married to lawyers who were happy to help us out pro bono and, and continue to offer legal advice. Um, also, I think it has to be collaborative. So I could not have done this on my own. Uh, I would recommend at least two, preferably three tenacious um, women ready, or it could be dads too, you know, could be, but anyways, parents who are ready to invest a lot of time and not give up and work together. And it's great if you have different skills and um, strength areas or knowledge areas, um, I felt confident starting Blue Bonnet because I had a prior career experience in running a similar program through Biola University. So that was actually my first job before I became a parent. I did that for several years and then retired from that in order to start my homeschool. Um, so I had the background in budgeting and marketing and organizational leadership before I started the program, which really helped. Okay, great. Brandon, you look like you have ideas brewing that you want to share. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because again, I go back to sort of that grassroots outreach of being at the park and having conversation with moms. And so I would say, you know, mine is much less formal than Jennifer's experience. So this is helpful, right? If someone's like, I want to start something very formal with that structure. Ours is was very fluid at the beginning. It's become more formal over time. Um, but you know, what I would recommend is utilizing social media and creating a simple meetup at a park, but being very intentional about the way you talk about it. So for me, I found all of my, you know, Austin area homeschooling Facebook pages. I created a simple graphic that was very clearly nature inspired, right? It was beautiful. I included a Charlotte Mason quote in my um, you know, post about this meetup. Like if you're interested in living books and beautiful music, et cetera, you know, this is a co-op that I'm thinking about creating and I'm going to do a park meetup. So even just creating that got buzz. So then from there, I created a very simple Google form. So if you're interested, you know, fill out this Google form and with your name and email and phone number. So then I started being able to collect data to communicate with them. After the first meetup, I decided I had such interest that I did an ice cream social. If you want to bring people together, you should always offer food, right? So coffee and donuts, ice cream, snow cones, finding some way to like make it, you know, worth getting the kids in the car and buckling them all in. And so we did an ice cream social and that was really for me what solidified, okay, I'm going to do this because it was a consistent group of people. They showed up, they asked the right questions. I put some time in to creating materials to hand out at that ice cream social. I laid out the mission statement. I laid out a little bit about Charlotte Mason, some of the things that we'll be doing, a definition of Skole, um, you know, and really just some ideas of things that I'd like to do throughout the semester. So I took what, what my vision was and made sure that the, the attendees at that first meetup understood that this would be um, a like-minded group of individuals 
and being very intentional about the community that we were building. So I think start with a, a meetup, utilize social media, be very clear about your intentions and your vision for the group. Um, and yeah, empower those mamas who show up and are ready to work. Mm -hmm. what, what are some challenges you've seen? For me personally, the biggest challenge is the demand. Um, I, I struggle with having to turn people away. Um, our largest co-op gathering so far has been about 45 students. And again, we're in an outdoor learning environment. We want to have the free play and the wonder of childhood interaction, but we also do want to provide some academic content. So if we're talking about um, the oceans, right? We did a beautiful handicraft, but we want to make sure we're talking about the different oceans and how we have geography and borders and what does that look like? Age appropriate, but still. So for me, it's been just the demand and the growth. And I want to find ways to welcome any family that has a desire to find community. Um, so I'm, I have lots of ideas on ways to be able to expand and serve more families but I would say that has been for sure the biggest challenge. Do you have, do you teach the lesson every time or do you rotate with other moms and have a different, you know, moms doing it? I have taught every lesson. What I'll do is empower moms to lead the handicraft or pick the books. And we do that in coordination with one another. Um, going into the next semester, we are already talking about different unit ideas. And I think, I will be able to really empower and encourage other moms to take the lead on lessons because we were, we were brand new. I really yeah. wanted to lay the foundation of like, this is what's expected and, and making sure you're on board with the way this material is presented. And I think I now have a full faith that we have an, a, you know, a unified understanding of the way we want the material presented. I think that's very wise. So you've modeled it for them. And then as you get to know them and establish a relationship with them, you can start to delegate. I love that you're doing it that way. That's really smart. Okay, what about you, Valerie? <clears throat> I would echo a lot of what Brandon said um, about um, starting it with uh, basic social media. Be extremely clear with your expectations. Make sure that people know if you're a Christian group that that's what you are so that People aren't driving from far away, buckling the kids up, definitely have food. So we, we um, there was a local, um, it was a Yahoo group at the time that I posted to see if there was interest in our area. We had like- I remember that. Reply. I remember that, yeah. My living room the next night and we were playing. So um, same thing. I, I, would, I would post for interest as, you know, whatever- social media you have or moms at the park or whatever, be very clear about what it, what kind of group you're wanting to start. Um, <clears throat> and then just like in the corporate world, you know, you, you need to empower people. You need to lead by being a servant. You need to empower people, see what their gifts are. If you've got those money, right, uh, left-brained people, definitely put them in charge of <laughs> treasury and things like that. Leave us creatives to create stuff <laughs> without messing up the numbers. Um, yes, so... Uh, post for interest, they will come. There is demand. Um, there is definitely interest. And I would say as well for the challenge, it's it's the demand, it's the time. Um, you know, and then you have people like half the people on our wait list are from California and they say, okay, I homeschool now. What do I do? Show me how to join your group. Do I drop my kid off? Do I pay this much per year? And they, they need it. It's there. And there's people that homeschool now, you know, after COVID that didn't before. And so, you know, 
some of us do have experience in the work world before homeschooling and we know how to do that communication directing and some don't. And that's, so you have to empower your people to serve where they can and definitely communicate um, well with, you know, I don't have answers yet on that. I'll, I'll, I, I feel like as a homeschool mom, I have yet to solve the mystery of how to have more time. There's just, and when you're running a co-op as well, <clears throat> unless you have a university model or, you know, where people are paying and dropping off, then it's just going to be moms juggling it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I think one of the things, Je oh, Jennifer, you want to say something, go ahead. Yeah, I want to say even with my model, we're not a school. So we are like our, we, <laughs> I volunteer. So my, my co-founder and I, we volunteer. So time is definitely an issue and we, we don't have like tons of money because we were professional. I wanted to make sure people know that it's still a nonprofit, but also I, I knew the other ladies would talk more about the, the co-op part, but I did want to echo that or add that Blue Bonnet started first before there was Blue Bonnet. We had a book group that was Charlotte Mason moms discussing the books and that's how it, it grew. So first it was just, you know, I posted on the local Christian homeschool group. Hey, is anyone else want to talk about Charlotte Mason? Want to start a book group? And um, the first gal who said, yes, please count me in. She's my co-founder with Blue Bonnet. So that started in 2016. And then in 2019, we're like, let's do a thing after we'd been talking mm. about Charlotte Mason and reading together. And yes to social media, yes to everything else the lady said about actually getting your, your group and starting classes. Oh, Jennifer, I love that. Um, did you read all six volumes? Sure no, ma'am. We didn't have enough time. We're slow read. We don't have enough time, right, Valerie? Moms don't have enough time. I don't. I. I don't have enough time to do all the things I'm doing. I don't know how I'm existing. <laughs> but no, we we would read like a chapter, uh, one or two chapters, and they're short chapters, right? A month, and just during yeah, you know like eight or nine months of the school year. So it would take us you know two years to read one volume. So we've read volume one, volume six. You have to, and then when we started Blue Bonnet, we read uh, volume three, school education. Uh, we have our Blue Bonnet kids reading the ourselves. I forget what number that oh, is. Um, good. Yeah. That's my favorite one. We've also one. read, you know, In Vital Harmony, and I we might have done For the Children's Sake, you know, the classic. But we, I haven't read all six volumes, I have to confess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you're reading them, though. It's it's amazing. Yes. And I would like to put a plug in for Karen Glass's newest um, um, a volume one. It's called A Thinking Love. Oh, it is so well done. She brilliantly, it's still all of Charlotte Mason's language, but what she did was she pulled out a lot of the rabbit holes that reference very British things in that time that, you know, Charlotte Mason will go on these rants that kind of half the time make no sense to us, right? And so when she pulled those out, it's still very cohesive and flows. And in fact, I think it flows better. And, and she also, so Charlotte Mason had it kind of subdivided into little categories in each chapter, but she then condensed these categories. So they're very short readings. And at the end, she has like really great discussion questions. They're really well done. So anybody who wants to start a Charlotte Mason study book group, I would strongly recommend to start with Karen Glasses, A Thinking Love. In fact, Randon, it might be a really good one for your parents to do. Um, I promise you the, sh the readings are very short and um, the discussion questions are very, very rich. And volume, it's volume one, which is perfect for parents with young children because it lays that foundation for habit training. Um, anyhow, I, I, I just love Charlotte Mason. So you've got me going here. 
Please read her, read her. Don't read about her, read her, read her writings. Um, so I would like to close uh, this episode by asking each of you to share one of your favorite Charlotte Mason quote. And that is a very difficult question because there are so many. And it could just be a quote that is maybe really speaking to you right now. Um, it seems to me that I change my favorite Charlotte Mason quote from year to year, <laughs> depending on where I'm at in my life. And, and it's funny, one huge surprise for me has been, I'm 52. I'm a retired homeschool mom. My youngest is 24. Um, I have five grandchildren and two on the way. And Charlotte Mason's writings still, um, I still read her. So her, her words are so full of love and wisdom and full of Christ that her writings even still chat, like minister to me, even though my kids are adults. Um, so they minister to me in a very personal way now, though. It's very different. And that, that's been a real huge shock to me that I wasn't expecting to happen. Um, so share uh, a quote from Charlotte Mason that you love. Um, let's see who's ready. Valerie, you ready? First of all, Adrian, um, I forgive you for making me just choose one. This is extremely difficult. And you're probably going to make a quote. We actually use it in the recitation for our high school class. Um, the question is for what should learning repair a, prepare us? And then the students recite back this quote of hers. Oh, history must afford its pageants, science its wonders, literature its intimacies, philosophy its speculations, religion its assurances to every man, and his education must have prepared prepared him for wanderings in these realms of gold. And that is in her, you know, toward a philosophy of education. And those of us that were public schooled, you know, um, I didn't know there were realms. I didn't know there was gold in them. And I didn't know that I could wander and that, that, that what a delightful life that that, you know, gives us. So it is my, just my, uh, my mission to, um, equip these, these kids with, with that love of learning and her words definitely help with that. We read her ourselves book as well in our for our citizenship. It's so powerful. So, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, it is, it is. Okay, Jennifer? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to cheat and give two. So, one that um that I've always loved since I first encountered her when my kids were little. I, my two kids are teens now, so <laughs> um the one of my favorite quotes is the one that she says the flowers aren't new but the children are. Mm -hmm. That the idea that we take for granted, well, yeah, flowers, they're everywhere. We see them all the time. We've been seeing them for decades or, you know, but for toddlers, when they see a flower, it's a totally new universe, right? It's a, an explosion of beauty that they need to check out. You can't take a, a preschooler on a walk. It's That's the straight line from point A to B. You have to, you know, go and wander and stop and look at this rock or pick up this leaf. And so that sense of wonder that, yes, the flowers have been on the earth for however many years, um, but this experience of discovery that the children have when they encounter creation um, and that freshness that they bring, that they really are born persons that don't need us to mediate for them the wonders of God's beauty in the world. Um, and so that was one of the first quotes that was powerful for me. And I think now it's kind of pointed in a different way now that I have teens, um, because my teens aren't new 
anymore. And so how do you, how do you, and, and how do I as adult keep that, that experience of the new child in perceiving beauty and with that initial sense of awe, that initial sense of being blown away and not taking it for granted because we see it all the time. And that's related to, I'm sneaking the second quote in, in Flas, towards the philosophy of education, she says, it is no small part of education to have seen much beauty, to recognize it when we see it and to keep ourselves humble in its presence. Well, that's beautiful. Okay, Brandon, your turn. All right, so I chose one of my favorite quotes that really resonates with me as a mother of four littles. Um, so the quote is, thought breeds thought. Children familiar with great thoughts take as naturally to thinking for themselves as the well-nourished body takes to growing. And we must bear in mind that growth, physical, intellectual, moral, spiritual, is the sole end of education. And so for me, I think oftentimes we get in these conversations about, you know, where are they going to go to college or what's their job or their career? And ultimately, we believe that education is the pursuit of knowledge for the pursuit of truth and goodness and beauty that is well beyond what we're doing here on earth. And so nourishing the soul with all of these wonderful experiences together in learning uh, and being lifelong learners for the pursuit of knowledge is it so resonates with me. And I love that quote. I love it. I, you know what? I'm going to share one too. <laughs> I wasn't planning to, but I thought I need to share a quote. Do it. I, uh, this one has really spoken to me in the time that I'm in right now in my life. It is from Ourselves, which happens to be my favorite of all her books. Um, and it's at the very, very end. And it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's from 1 Timothy. And what a barren and dry land should we dwell in if our spirits were narrowed to the limits of that which we can comprehend. We err. Where we err is in supposing that mystery is confined to our religion, that everything else is obvious and open to our understanding, whereas the great things of life, birth, death, hope, love, patriotism, why a leaf is green and why a bird is clothed in feathers, all such things as these are mysteries. And it is only as we can receive that which we cannot understand and can discern the truth of that, that which we cannot prove and can distinguish between a luminous mystery and a bewildering superstition that we are able to live the full life for which we were made. And the reason that one ministers to me so much is because in the world of classical education, there is a, a deep drive for seeking of truth and reason. And in education, we want to make sure students are comprehending. And yet this quote tells us it's okay if they don't comprehend. It's okay to dwell and live in the mystery of life. And it's okay to discern truth, even if it can't be proven. And so that quote really, uh, res res you know, resounds in my soul. And so anyhow, that's what I mean when I say 
she has things to say for you at all ages. It doesn't matter how old you are. You should be meeting Charlotte Mason. So thank you, ladies. This was such a delight. I, I would love to talk to you even for another hour, but I know that we have things to do. We're all busy. Um, but thank you so much, Jennifer, Valerie, and Randon, for being on the episode. I know this episode is going to be such a um, joy to many of our listeners. And hopefully they'll reach out to reach out to me and I'll let you know. And they'll say, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a, a co-op or a enrichment program um, because of this episode. So your time today, I'm sure is uh, going to go forth and produce much fruit in the lives of many families. So thank you so much. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks for hosting us. It was great to talk with you all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We invite you to experience the art of teaching through interactive learning communities at our Patreon page. Visit patreon.com forward slash classical education. Also, be sure to join the conversation on our Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. We are a listener-supported podcast, so your support makes this podcast possible. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once wrote, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be, in a few words, this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know, best of all, what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven.